journey. Um, we are in a series entitled Never Alone, and we are looking specifically, uh, it's a, a Bible study by uh, Max Lucado, and we have been meeting, we got about 10 small groups or so that are meeting each week and walking through uh, the things that we talk about here on Sunday morning. So um, uh, this morning, we're going to be looking at the third principle of times that we're never alone. We've talked about the idea that God is with us in the ordinary, that um, in the ordinary small things of life, God can do the extraordinary kinds of things, and we're not alone through those times. We talked about the um, idea last week of the idea that God, we're never alone when we're stuck. When we find those times in life where we're just kind of stuck and we're not sure where to go, we can't go forward, we can't go backwards, that, that God's with us during those times. And this morning, we're going to look at the idea of God is with us in the storms. And so before we do, I need to give you a whole lot of background. So uh, let me kind of walk you through some things that are important before we get to the story. Um, and the first thing we want to understand is we want to understand this little area called the Sea of Galilee. It has other names. This is what it looks like. Um, what you should know about this sea uh, is that in this particular sea, it is actually 700 feet below sea level. Now, what's unique about that is it makes it the second lowest, or it makes it the first uh, lowest freshwater lake on the planet. Um, there's actually only one lake that's lower than this, and that happens to be the Dead Sea, uh, but it's not a freshwater deal. What's unique about this is there are spots in this little lake, if you will, uh, that are 900, uh, that are 200 feet deep. So actually, you take it 700 feet below sea level, another 200 feet deep, you have something 900 feet below sea level as far as water, a body of water goes. Uh, depending on who you read, um, size-wise, it's somewhere around seven miles wide um, and about 12 miles long. Josephus, who was a historian at the time um, of Jesus uh, in, in that time period, uh, says it's four and a half miles wide by 16 miles long. Um, here's what you need to understand about this, is that because of its location, what happens is there's an east wind that comes in, and so it's bringing in the cold air, and then the warm air hits it. And so in a, in a very short amount of time, what can look like this can turn into a storm almost instantly. Um, this area was ended up being known for its commercial fishing. Uh, as you can see, because of the fertile ground, particularly there in front, uh, it was known for raising olives, figs, grapes, uh, wheat, barley. Uh, those were big, big uh, things that, that were raised in this area. What you need to understand is, and what a lot of times we don't get because we're not Jewish, is that in the, um, in the time that this thing uh, kind of takes place, the Jewish mindset is really, I think, important for us to understand regarding the story we're going to look at this morning. The Jewish people were land people. They were not water people. Okay, uh, They spent most of their time in the desert, and, and they spent most of the time in those kinds of cultures. So they're more land-oriented people than water-oriented people. In addition to that, you need to understand that theologically, Jewish people particularly had a problem with water. 
Um, and it goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 where it says the Spirit of God hovered above the, 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 the waters. Um, often in the Scriptures, in the Old Testament, the idea of the water was a place of abyss, and often it was referred to as evil. So the Jewish people, when they talked about bodies of water, really associated it more with evil than they did with good. And that's going to come into play in our story this morning as well. So as we have this all laid out with um, that mindset, then you have the cultural mindset of the pagan world. And in the pagan world, often the abyss or the depths of the water were associated with Baal and the gods. So one of the things that happened is that, that really, even though the Jewish people were fishing, they were fishing because they could make money, um, it wasn't a place that they were comfortable. Um, in fact, many of, the, many of the sailors and the people who would fish at this time wouldn't even go into the deep water. I mean, they stayed clear of that. Um, because, again, the deeper water, more dangerous, the, 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 the way that the, the, the topography was created these instant storms. And so this was a real, real, real fear. In fact, some of them couldn't even swim. So, you know, you have a, a whole idea of uh, the water's just not a place that, that, that's really, really comfortable or associated with a lot of stuff that's good. So... That is the background, culturally, behind the passage we're going to look at this morning. Timeline in the life of Jesus in this story, here's what you need to understand. You need to understand that what has happened is Jesus and his disciples are all together, and word they get word that John the Baptist has been beheaded. And so what happens is they come to Jesus, they take the body of John, they bury the body of John, and Jesus and the disciples just need some time to process that. They need some time to grieve. But what happens is the crowds start coming around, and they just don't have time to do it. And so as they keep going, the crowds keep following. Finally, Jesus sets them all down and teaches them for the whole day. They come to the end of the day, and it's, they're going, you know, it's, somebody's got to eat here. And so what happens is Jesus then... They, that's the five loaves and two fishes story, remember, where he breaks the bread and, and, and they all get fed? So what happens is he feeds the 5,000. Again, they, they haven't been able to process even John the Baptist's death. And, and some of these guys were followers of John originally, so this is kind of a tricky little thing here. So depending on, we have the account that we're going to read this morning. It's in Matthew, Mark, and it's in John. We're going to read John's account. But as I talk about it, I'm going to put all three accounts together so you get a, a good picture. Um, so what happens is, uh, according to uh, one of the accounts, when Jesus feeds the 5,000, they're like, this, let's make this guy king. So he's, he's done, we're not ready for that yet. So they, the whole idea is Jesus has to escape because of the political pressure. The other two accounts talk about the idea of they just needed to get away. And Jesus needed to spend time with the Father. He Again, he, he's still dealing with the John the Baptist thing as well as the disciple. So Jesus puts them in a boat, and they're going to go off, and Jesus is going to go apart in a mountain to spend time with his father. Okay, That's the background behind the story. Now let's read it. Here's what it said. Oh, by the way, here's a picture of it. I forgot about this. This is actually a lot of people believe feeding them 5,000 occurred more north of this. But basically what's going to happen is they're going to get fed, 
We're going to have Jesus. The story is Jesus walking on the water. That's going to happen there where it says miracle. And then they're heading over to Gennesaret or Capernaum, depending on, on, on where you want to put that thing. But this is an idea of basically where this story takes place. So with that in mind, here we go. John chapter 6. Who was that? After the people saw the sign Jesus performed, that's the feeding of the 5,000, they began to say, surely this is the prophet who has come into the world. Jesus, knowing they intended to come and take him and make him king by force, withdrew again to a mountain by himself. And it goes on. It says, when the evening came, his disciples went down to the lake, and they got into a boat, and they set off across the lake for Capernaum. But by now it was dark. And again, remember, these are people that have a fear of a healthy fear of the water. And it's dark, so that's not going to add to this. And it was dark, and Jesus had not yet joined them, and a strong wind was blowing, and the waters grew rough. And when they rode about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, and they were frightened. They're scared to death. Um, But he said unto them, It is I. Don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were heading. Now again... Every writer, Matthew, Mark, and John, Luke doesn't record this event, every writer has a different focus. So I'm going to put all of the accounts together as you kind of, as we kind of walk through it. So as we, as we put it together, what's happened is the disciples are in a boat, Jesus is not there, and a storm comes up. Now here's what we need to remember. This has happened before. This isn't the first time the disciples have been in a boat with a storm. In the other account, Jesus is asleep in the boat. And they wake him up and they say, don't you care about us? And Jesus says, quiet, it's all calm. And Jesus looks at him and says, where's your faith, guys? Come on, you know better than this. Um, And so the disciples have been in a row. The difference between before and now, Jesus isn't with them that they know of. Because when we put all of the accounts together, one of the accounts says that Jesus was actually watching them from the shore. Um, One of the accounts says that Jesus was going to walk right by them. And the idea here is that Jesus knew exactly what was going on. Jesus knew, and in fact, depending on whether you look at a Jewish time frame or a Roman time frame, The idea here is that Jesus let them row in the storm for anywhere from four to six hours trying to overcome this thing. And it's not until the morning that Jesus shows up. And when he shows up, it's interesting. Some of the accounts say they thought it was a ghost. Now, just again, step into the Jewish mind for a second. You have this healthy fear of water. You have this concern. You know all the stories about... You know, the, the gods that come up from the deep, and you're, and you're in the middle of the lake, which you don't go to anyway. It's at night. Now, in addition to that, you look out, and there's something that has come up out of the water, walking on the water. You get the idea why they were terrified? Because the last thing they expected was that to be Jesus. And so all of a sudden now you've got the storm going on. You've got this figment walking out there. You're scared to death because now you think, you know, at this point you're going, where is Jesus? Because I really want him here. We would love to have him asleep in the boat at this point. 
This is where the story comes in, by the way, in Matthew's account, that Peter sees him and says, hey, can I come to you? And Jesus goes, sure. And you know the story. Peter jumps out of the boat. He starts walking to Jesus. Then all of a sudden, he stops at some point and starts looking around at the, at the storm. And he starts to sink, and then he cries out. And everybody's really critical of Peter here. I think Peter's a hero here. Do you understand what Peter did? Peter jumped out of a boat in the middle of a storm to get to Jesus. And I'm guessing the other disciples are like, are you crazy? But you know... When they do the obituary of the disciples, Peter's the only one that gets to say, he walked on water with Jesus. And by the way, when he starts to sink, he knows who to turn to. And he cries out for Jesus to save him. And Jesus, and then Jesus and Peter get back in the boat, and then when that happens, the storm calms. And I think there are some tremendous lessons for us about this whole idea of the storms that we come up against in life. So let's walk through a couple to help us as we go into um, this week. Here's the first one. Storms are part of life, folks. I don't know what it is about our American culture that makes us think we shouldn't have to go through storms. I mean, storms are a normal part of life. Health issues, normal part of life. Relationship issues, normal part of life. Financial struggles, normal part of life. Why is it that we think we should never have to go through a storm? I mean, by the way, this is the second storm the disciples have been through. And many of them were fishermen, came from a a fisherman kind of background. But here's what you learn about storms. They're always temporary. You say, there you go, no, 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 you don't understand. I've got this diagnosis. I'm going to live with it for the rest of my life. You don't understand. I've got this struggle, and it's never going to go away. It's going to be there until the day to day. Stop. You've lost perspective. This world is temporary. Your entire time on this planet is short. When put in context of eternity, it barely even makes a blimp on the radar. Whatever we go through in this life is only very, very short compared to eternity. That's what 1 Corinthians says, chapter 4, or 2 Corinthians 4. Our light affliction, which is but for a moment, works for us a far more exceeding and eternal way to glory. While we not look not at the things which are seen, that which is here, but that which is not seen, because those are the things that are eternal. And what you have to realize is that storms are part of life, but they are temporary. We are not part of this idea that we struggle with it for all of eternity. And storms are a part of life. They're, they're, they're going to come. What, and they're going to be different for different people, but we're going to struggle with the storm. And I think we have to realize that that's just a normal part of this thing that we call life. 
I think a second, uh, well, okay, let me take a quick rabbit trail. You know me and my rabbit trails. I love these things. Um, in this story, you have two different responses to the storm. You have Peter who walks with Jesus in the storm. And you have Jesus who gets in the boat and ends the storm. One of the things that I think we have to realize is that sometimes God's solution is not to end the storm. His solution is what Peter did, to walk with Jesus in the storm. Okay, that was free. Let's go to the second idea, okay? Let's go to the second idea. Storms are part of life. A second idea is this. Struggle is good. Now, we're not in a culture that believes that. In fact, we try to make things easier at every turn. We're a culture that, that runs away from struggle and hardship. But what's interesting to me is in this story, depending on which account you read, Jesus is either standing on the shore watching them, or he's praying with the Father, spending time with the Father, knowing that his disciples are struggling, but he doesn't do anything about it until the morning. He lets them struggle for four to six hours. Why? Because struggle's good. Um, one of the things I hear from some of you that have been around for a while, I'm, I'm, I'm starting to enter your world, not yet there, not there yet, getting close. Um, but I hear people talk about the good old days. Oh, it'd be nice to go to the good old days. Can I be honest with you? I love you to death, but you want to know what you have? You have a problem in that you have made an idol or you have, um, you have forgotten what the good old days were really like. So I want to remind you. Here is the good old days. Now, we're having roast today. You know what we did? We put it in the oven. We made it all yesterday, cut it all up, put it in the oven, punched in the little timer thing to say, at what time did it start? Three or four o'clock in the morning. Four o'clock in the morning started so that at noon it's all ready for us and all of that. We didn't stoke a fire. We didn't put wood in. We didn't have to haul it in from the outside. We didn't have to babysit it all morning. Um, these are the good old days that you're talking about. How about this? There's the good old days. You know what I did this morning for my coffee? I walked over to my curry that came on automatically at 6 o'clock. It, it's already warming up for me. I walked over and decided what flavor of coffee would I like this morning. I happened to choose caramel. So I wanted a caramel coffee deal. I put it in. I went and I got my cream. I didn't have to put stuff in there and wait for it on a stove to start percolating to dump it into a cup. I don't want to go back to the good old days. When it comes to coffee, or how about this? Remember this? Young people are going, what in the world is that? That is how we made that popcorn one day. And you stood at thing and you stirred it. By the way, we have people in church who still make popcorn this way, all right? All right they think, you know, uh, it's the good old days. Well, beep, 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 whoop, boom. Um, that's me, all right? Um, how about this? Remember this? There we go. For those of you who don't know, this is a telephone that hung on the wall. Usually the cord was much longer. 
And what would happen is somebody would be on the phone with the long reach. It would go all the way across the doorway. You'd forget about it. You'd walk through because somebody else was talking on the phone, and you would just streamline yourself. Remember, this is that. This is, there you go. How about this one? Remember this? I have one of these. We call it a cell phone. Back then, it was called a bag phone. It had to be plugged into the cigarette lighter in a car. Yes, cars had cigarette lighters in those days. Um, remember that? These are the good old days that you're talking about. You want to walk in? You want to, you want everybody in here to walk in church this morning with one of those things? Yeah, carry your church, your purse, and your Bible, and your big old bag phone. How about that? Remember this? You actually had to get up to turn the channel, and there were only three, so it wasn't that bad. Um, and then. And then depending on where the broadcast signal was from, you had to adjust the rabbit ears. Um, how about this? Remember this? By the way, these are coming back. Kids, this is called a stereo system. This is what you have on your phone right now. This is what we used to have to listen to music. Remember the good old days? How about this one? Okay. This is before mice. A computer didn't have a mouth, and it didn't have a touch screen. The only way you could get that screen, first of all, it was always green or amber. And then secondly, it was always F keys. So that whole row of keys, kids, at the top of the keyboard that you don't have no clue on, that's how you ran the thing in the old days. So some of us know what F12 is and F11 and F1, and we know what all those commands. How about this? Now, before you laugh, this isn't my actual tractor, but this is the tractor that I have, a Massey Super 90. You want to go farm your 1,200 acres with this come spring? You know, oh, I still have one. I got one older than that. Yeah, but you don't farm a bunch of acres with it. You put it in a parade and drive it around. That's what you do with it now. Why? Because you couldn't think of doing all this thing with, <coughs> with no cab and no air conditioning and no, no all of that stuff. You really want the good old days? See, you forget what it was really, really like. That's my point. But you want to know why they were good old days for us? Because we struggled. Because it wasn't a life of convenience. If you broke down and you didn't have your bag phone with you, you had to go walk to a farm to call somebody on a phone that hung on a wall in order to get somebody to come and get you. If you wanted information, you had to go. If you were fortunate enough to own a set of encyclopedias, you could actually go and look it up. It was a life of struggle. And most of us are where we are today because we learn how to struggle. It's no different in your Christian walk. If your Christian walk is all a life of ease, then you really don't grow and mature like you need to grow and mature. Struggle is good for us. So Jesus, standing on the hillside, realizing that there's going to come a point very soon where he's going to be gone, and these guys are going to be on their own, and they're going to have to struggle, and they're, many are going to have to die for what they claim to believe. He knows they're going to have to develop some faith, and they're going to have to develop some confidence in him, and they're going to have to develop something. So he needs to let them struggle for four or five or six hours. He needs to let it be really, really hard for them so that when he comes onto the scene, they appreciate it and they understand. By the way, you know what the result 
of this story is? One of the writers says, when he gets in the boat, they worship and recognize him as the son of God. They had just seen a miracle, but they didn't connect the dots. They had just watched him speed. 5,000 people, but they didn't connect the dots. And they got in a boat, and rather than go, you know what, let's just pray to Jesus that he can help us. Instead of doing that, you know what they did? They rowed and rowed and rowed, and Jesus just let them do it. And then he shows up, and Peter's like, oh, I'm so glad to see you. How fast can I get to you? And Jesus comes into the boat, and when he does, they're like, oh, yeah, we remember. He did this before. He can provide and take care of us. That's the last thing you see. They got to experience the power of God. You see, because they struggled, they got to experience the power of God. In Peter's situation, Peter gets this incredible experience of walking on water. They've struggled all night. They're, they're, they're tired. They're exhausted. They're scared. They're frightened. And Peter gets to actually walk on water and go to Jesus. And then, by the way, I don't know if you ever thought about this. Again, I'm going to use my imagination for a second. It's not what the Bible says. But the Bible does say Peter and Jesus get back in the boat. Here's my question. Did Peter walk or did Jesus carry him? Because if Jesus carried him, that's even more awesome in my world. And Peter got to experience that. And by the way, Notice what's interesting. Peter walked with Jesus in the storm. The the storm doesn't cease until he gets in the boat. So Peter is, first of all, Peter is walking in the storm, and then he's coming back with Jesus in the storm. Listen, God may not end your storm. God may just want you to learn to walk with him in the storm. And part of what you're going through and part of that struggle may be the fact that Jesus wants to come alongside of you and Jesus wants you and Jesus to walk through whatever it is God has laid out for you. I don't know. It may be like the disciple where Jesus' purpose is to let you struggle a while and then he's going to end your storm. Maybe. But you have to realize the purpose of the storm, whether it's walking with Jesus or whether it's Jesus ending the storm, the purpose of it is for you to experience the power of God and understand that you are not alone, that God is with you. That's one of the hard things. Because so often we feel abandoned. So often we feel like God's not there. And the whole time, whoever you read, the whole time the idea is Jesus knew exactly what was going on with these guys. And he knows exactly what's going on in your world, too. I want to challenge you because I think sometimes we get into storms, whether it be financial, whether it be relationships, whether it be health-wise, whether it be um, situations that God brings into our lives that become overwhelming to us. And we can't see God. We don't know what he's doing. He's, he's, He's cognizant of everything that's going on. He's right there. He may just simply be allowing you to struggle for a little bit because he knows in the end that's going to be the best for you. 
And I don't know whether the solution is for you to run out in the middle of the storm and be with him or for him to step in and end the storm. I don't know. But I will tell you that the result of both is the same. That you see Jesus Christ as the Son of God. And I want to challenge you because I think sometimes we forget that we're not alone in those storms. And we forget that maybe we need to invite Jesus into the storm with us to walk with us through it. And we can still pray for God to end the storm, but God may not. But he's got a plan, and he has a purpose, and he is at work. And I think sometimes we forget that, because in the end, I'm going to tell you right now, there's nothing greater than when you get the privilege to experience the power of God in a storm. And we have people in this church who have been through some of the deepest, darkest storms you can imagine. And we have people in this church who right now are going through some deep, dark, heavy storm. And there are, truthfully... There are people in this church who I look up to because I don't know that I could have handled it as well as I see you handling. And you go, yeah, but you don't know how hard it is. You don't know what everybody else doesn't know. No, I don't. I don't. But I will tell you this. Watching your commitment to the Lord, watching you stick with it, watching you still show up here, is a tremendous blessing and encouragement to me and a challenge to me. And I got news for you. If I ever have to go through one of the storms that I've watched some of the people in this church go through, you need to know, I'll be at your door. Because I'm going to need you to help me walk through it. Because one of the things that you learn in storms You don't want to handle it on your own. And one of the great things about this story is the fact that we learn an awful lot about the fact that we aren't alone in the storm. So I end this morning with this idea. I'm going to put it on the screen so you can see it. Storms are a regular part of life for all of them. God may allow us to struggle during the storm. But he's always with us. And he wants our focus to be on him. Sometimes. He encourages us to join him in the storm. And in some situations, he may stop the storm. We've got to remember that he's with us, and we're never alone in those storms. Let's pray. Lord, help us. It's easy to say, hard to do. Lord, as we struggle in life with the stuff that just life has to offer, Lord, may we rejoice and celebrate Those times when things go well and smooth and, Lord, when the storms come. May we seek you. May we stick close to you. And may you use those storms to accomplish whatever purposes and plans you have in our lives. To be the kind of people that you intend for us to be. These things we ask in your name. Amen.